Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Healthy Mind Matters, brought to you by Intermountain Healthcare on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Healthy Mind Matters. I'm Maria Shaleas. Today we are talking about opioid-free surgeries. With me, Dr. Will Shakespeare. He is Intermountain's Medical Director of Surgical Operations and Director of Anesthesiology. And Bill Evans, who has had an opioid-free surgery. Again, thanks to both of you for being here today. Doctors, start out. Is every surgery going to be an opioid-free surgery? And when do we decide? How do you decide when you can have an opioid-free surgery? Most definitely not all surgeries are amenable to opioid-free surgery. Uh, most surgeries are uh, amenable to opioid-sparing surgery, meaning that we can use uh, less opioid than has traditionally been used in the past by using other non-opioid medications. Uh, and then there's a smaller subset that are are truly amenable to, to opioid-free surgery. So uh, as an example, uh, I uh, cared recently for a patient who was having, having a uh, carotid end artery. And uh, uh, I care for patients who uh, have heart surgery, for instance. Both of those, uh, for various reasons, uh, may fall in or out of that opioid-free range. So uh, cardiac surgery, for instance, is extremely uh, invasive, uh, and uh, the, the pain afterwards will be prolonged. Uh, and uh, we are starting to to utilize uh, nerve blocks that will uh, make it so we can uh, use a significantly lower amount of uh, of pain medicine. Uh, but uh, that is, I don't see that being an opioid free surgery in the in the immediate near near future uh, for pain reasons. The uh, carotid end arterectomy that uh, that I am thinking of is a patient that I cared for uh, weeks ago who. Uh, as uh, part of the pathology of uh, carotid plaque disease uh, is uh, the blood pressure tends to be really uh, uneven. And this is a patient that I tried to use uh, blood pressure managing medication during the surgery. So an anesthesiologist's uh, job is is uh, really twofold. One is to uh, induce anesthesia to, to get somebody to sleep. But number two, and really the biggest job, is to keep somebody alive and stable during surgery. And so uh, the job of trying to keep this uh, patient stable uh, during the, the carotid surgery there was so many swings up and down in the uh, in the blood pressure uh, that were cycling so quickly that really this patient needed opioid to to smooth out their uh, their uh, their cardiac response uh, to to the surgery to safely get through the the process. So that uh, let me say, opioids are wonderful. 
they are uh, one of our finest tools to be used in the right place. Uh, and uh, may we never be without them. Uh, but that is uh, that that use has been grossly uh, overplayed. All right. So talk about as you embark on this new initiative and having more people do their surgeries opioid free, what does the conversation look like with a patient? How do you educate them before surgery? So we know that it makes a difference. There's a fascinating uh, study that a group out of Thomas Jefferson uh, did in which they had a two-minute video uh, and a handout that they gave to patients who were having shoulder surgery. Shoulder surgery is, is quite uncomfortable. Uh, there are good things that we can do with nerve blocks, but uh, half of this group they gave this education to uh, about uh, uh, the risks of, of opiates, uh, and the other half they didn't give that education to. And that one intervention, that two-minute intervention, was enough to drop the pills taken by 50 uh, in that that group that got the education. And so a big part of uh, the answer to your question of how do we start that dialogue is uh, is awareness, just to recognize that there really is a uh, a relationship between the patient and the medical system uh, that has taken uh, an over exaggerated uh, turn towards the uh, the uh, the relationship between uh, opioid transaction. And I know Bill has uh, feelings uh, about this as well from a previous conversation that we've had, that that this goes both ways, both uh, uh, patients coming in expressly saying, I want opioids, don't uh, don't give me anything milder. I, I, I came for a pain pill and I want a pain pill. But also, uh, they're, uh, to be candid, I, I grew up in a medical system that, uh, that uh, was given the message that if somebody has real pain and you give them an opiate, there's no risk of addiction, which we know patently is not true, uh, that uh, 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 80% of people who are heroin users started on uh, prescription pain medication. Uh, this is something that we've learned. And so uh, uh, there are that's a, a fix that happens with uh, ventilation. The more we talk about that, the more that we're aware of that. And we need to take a break. And you're listening to Healthy Mind Matters on KSL News Radio.